0: section forty two of annual reports to the massachusetts board of education by horace mann this librivox recording is in the public domain eleventh annual report eighteen forty seven part one gentlemen the incontestable progress which the cause of popular education is making in massachusetts and in some of the other states of our union is a subject for a hearty congratulation among ourselves and for devout gratitude to heaven. It cannot be denied that the cause has one to itself most able and earnest advocates, who are in no way officially connected with it, but who cherish it from the purest motives of duty and philanthropy. But it happens to this, as to all other good causes, that some of its professed friends have attached themselves to it from collateral and some from sinister motives. It is equally true that the cause has enemies, although in this community there are but few who dare to make open proclamation of their hostility. But opponents are all the more formidable when their opposition is secret. Their measures of counteraction are not the less efficient because they are indirect, and hide their origin under specious pretenses, there is a third class who have no faith in the utility of education they number it among what they are pleased to call the utopian schemes of reform with which the age is teeming and they regard with an ill-concealed suspicion either the honesty of purpose or the soundness of intellect of those who are laboring to uphold its banner and to bear it forward there are those also who suspect in education the existence of some unknown and mystical power which should at once obtain the ascendancy would bear the community onward they know not whither and having some ism or ology of their own by which provided all civil institutions and nature herself will succumb to their dictation they can forthwith extricate the world from all its troubles and carry it forward in the directest line and with the swiftest speed to a millennial goal they discard an agency whose power they can neither control nor comprehend and lastly there are those who array themselves against education solely from mercenary motives because of the one or two mills upon the dollar which its support subtracts from their property to meet the opposition and the indifference originating in these and similar prejudgments the subject of education has been very much agitated particularly in the northern portion of our country within the last dozen years there can be no hazard in affirming that far more has been spoken and printed heard and read on this theme within the last twelve years than ever before were at all put together since the settlement of the colonies the consequence certainly has been a very marked development of the merits of the subject and a corresponding opening or expansion of the public mind for their recognition to many sensible men it has come like a revelation inspiring hopes for the amelioration of mankind and for the perpetuity of our institutions which they had never dreamed of before there are thousands of persons amongst us whose once darkened minds have been so quickened with life and illuminated with wisdom on this subject as to beget an intolerable impatience under old imperfections a perception of which has made rest impossible and the pleasures of home uncomfortable until within their respective spheres they had effected a reform in order to make this subject more intelligible to the common mind as well as to conform to broad distinctions which nature herself has established it has been considered under a threefold aspect first as embracing the proper care and training of the body that its health and longevity may be secured second as cultivating the faculties by which we perceive compare analyze and combine remember reason and perceive natural fitness and the beauty of things so that we may know more of the world in which we are placed, and of the glorious attributes of its Maker, and so that by more faithfully harmonizing our conduct with its laws, we may the better enjoy its exquisite adaptations to our welfare. And thirdly, as fashioning our moral nature into some resemblance to its divine original, subordinating our propensities to the law of duty, expanding our benevolence into a sentiment of universal brotherhood and lifting our hearts to the grateful and devout contemplation of god in pursuance of these fundamental ideas it has been shown by the authority of the highest medical men in the country that even in the present imperfect state of physiological science more than one-half of all the cases of bodily disability and disease more than one-half of all the pains and expenditures of sickness more than one-half of all the cases of premature death that is of death under the age of seventy years are the consequence of sheer ignorance not of any irrepealable decree of fatality necessitating their existence independently of our consent and co but of our own brutish ignorance of the conditions of health and life to which our bodies have been subjected by their maker and i desire also to be here understood as not including in this moiety of unnecessary suffering and of untimely death a single one of that extensive class of cases which result from a slavish submission to some tyrannous appetite such as intemperance for instance where the knowledge, even if we possessed it, might be overborne in a conflict with the sensual desire. But I mean maladies, pains, and death, which a bad man would be as quick to avoid as a good one, which every sane man would desire to escape from, as he would from blindness or deafness, the gout or the toothache. Even were ignorance, then, to be classed among the greatest luxuries of life, it would be found too costly an indulgence to be borne by an economical people the indispensableness of education to worldly prosperity has also been demonstrated an ignorant people not only is but must be a poor people they must be destitute of sagacity and providence and of course of competence and comfort the proof of this does not depend upon the lessons of history but on the constitution of nature no richness of climate no spontaneous productiveness of soil no facilities for commerce no stores of gold or of diamonds garnered in the treasure chambers of the earth can confer even worldly prosperity upon an uneducated nation such a nation cannot create wealth of itself and whatever riches may be showered upon it will run to waste the ignorant pearl divers do not wear the pearls they win the diamond hunters are not ornamented by the gems they find the miners for silver and gold are not enriched by the precious metals they dig those who toil on the most luxuriant soils are not filled with the harvests they gather all the choicest productions of the earth whether mineral or vegetable wherever found or wherever gathered will in a short time as by some secret and resistless attraction make their way into the hands of the more intelligent within the last four centuries the people of spain have owned as much silver and gold as all the other nations of europe put together yet at the present time poor indeed is the people who have less than they the nation which produced more of the raw material and manufactured from it more fine linen than all contemporary nations are now the most ragged and squalid in christendom let whoever will sow the seed or gather the fruit intelligence will consume the banquet it must be admitted indeed that when the people composing any particular state or country are compared with each other the wisest are not always the wealthiest this natural law like others is liable to fluctuations and disturbances from artificial and arbitrary institutions primogeniture entail monopoly may derange its action yet even here as if to add confirmation to the general principle it is always found that the families of inferior mind who inherit wealth and the imbecile sovereigns or rulers who inherit power owe their elevation to the greatness of some ancestor whose mental superiority not only won preeminence for himself but for his descendants also where wealth or social position has not been earned or won by the possessors themselves it is the representative of some ancestral talent whose force is not yet expended who that visited the late mechanics fair in the city of boston was not bewildered by the number and diversity of the products of inventive genius and skill there exhibited to the common observer it was a profusion producing confusion what would be the result and sum total of a mechanic's fair among a tribe in the interior of africa or among the aborigines of our western wilderness hardly more than a stone hatchet a flint headed arrow a stick burned at the end and sharpened into a spear and a few yards of tawdry wampum yet the variety and richness of the one compared with the poverty and rudeness of the other would be but feeble symbols of the relative power and weakness of the minds from which they sprung and whence came the vast wonderful intellectual superiority it came from the old slate and pencil the bit of chalk and the bit of board planed or unplained, the spelling-book and the reading-book which have been found in every household through all our borders from the time of the first rude huts which went up amid winter and storm about plymouth rock which have been the companions and playthings of every nursery, and the business things of every schoolroom, for more than two centuries, until the children, as if by force of hereditary instinct, seem to look round inquiringly after them almost as soon as they are born. These are the acorns whence the majestic forest has sprung. If the difference between persons dwelling in the same community and living side by side be less striking to the senses it is not less instructive to the reason in my fifth annual report i presented the testimony of some of the most eminent and successful business men amongst us proving from business data and beyond controversy that labor becomes more profitable as the laborer is more intelligent and that the true mint of wealth the veritable coinage of the country is not to be found in magnificent government establishments at Philadelphia or New Orleans, but in the humble schoolhouse. On the occasion referred to, one of our most sagacious manufacturers declared (not only in accordance with the conclusions of his own reason, but as the result of an actual experiment) that the best cotton mill in New England, if worked by operatives so low in the scale of intelligence as to be unable to read and write, would never yield the proprietor a profit, that the machinery would soon be worn out, the owner impoverished, and the operatives themselves left penniless. Another witness, for a long-time superintendent of many work-people, made the following striking remark so confident am i that production is affected by the intellectual and moral condition of help that whenever a mill or a room should fail to give the proper amount of work my first inquiry after that respecting the condition of the machinery would be as to the character of the help and if the deficiency remained any great length of time i am sure i should find many who had made their marks upon the pay-roll being unable to write their names and i should be greatly disappointed if i did not upon inquiry find a portion of them of irregular habits and suspicious character is it not in fact most palpably demonstrable from a comparison of the nature of man with the powers and properties of the material universe in which he is placed that he was designed to reach a point of intellectual and moral elevation far higher than any which the most favored people on the earth have yet attained a material world active with such invisible energies and constantly displaying such fitful changes as belong to our planet would be the most cruel prison-house to beings capable of perceiving its aspects but incapable of understanding its laws the superiority of our affective and sympathetic faculties over those possessed by the lower orders of creation would only render us so much the more miserable and defenceless if we had not the faculties of reason and judgment also, by which we are able to bring ourselves into harmony with surrounding circumstances. Without knowledge, our present lives would be far more wretched than those of the brutes which perish, for we should be vulnerable on all sides, capable of suffering the keenest pain, while incapable of avoiding its causes. The revolution of the seasons would inflict want and debasement upon the whole race if we could not foresee their vicissitudes, and provide for their varying necessities. Comets and eclipses are fitted in their very natures to shed consternation and dismay upon the hearts of men, until the intellect comes in to explain the sublime order that produces them. To the savage, thunder and lightning are tokens of divine wrath while to the christian philosopher they are only emphatic and vivid proofs of the greatness and wisdom of god to the enlightened mind a tempest or a whirlwind is only a tempest or a whirlwind but a barbarian dreads them a thousand times more for the anger of the gods which they denote and for the evils they portend than for any actual injuries which they inflict the auroras of the north so beautiful to the eye of science have shaken myriads of hearts with fear that numerous and various class of phenomenon which we call optical illusions are sources of the direst terror to the ignorant while they gratify a philosophic curiosity with the purest delight in short we know that all the wonders and glories which nature displays in her majestic course are only sources of superstition to those who have not learned her sublime laws darkening the already darkened mind debasing the debased and terrifying the affrighted it seems impossible that a benevolent being could have gifted the human race with its high faculties if he had not provided for and ordained their development and edification all the other orders of animated nature are adapted to their condition but a human soul quickened by irrepressible impulses of curiosity subject to the illusions of hope and to the agonies of fear but with no power to unriddle the mysteries by which it is encompassed with no power to realize the hopes spontaneously springing up within it or to emancipate itself from the bondage of fear such a soul would be forever the trembling slave of nature while nature would be a tyrant over it deaf and remorseless whatever name might be given to the place of its habitation it would be a habitation of unquenchable fire knowledge and a highly developed and highly trained reason are to the temporal necessities of man what instinct is to the brute but instinct is complete perfect self-active while knowledge and reason can never reach any adequate height without vigorous self-effort and copious instruction from others far better therefore would it have been for mankind had they never been elevated in the scale of existence above the simian tribe the ape the monkey or the baboon than that they should have been endowed with the faculties of memory of hope of fear and of imagination without an adequate ability to derive wisdom from past experience and to make provision for future necessities there is no earthly power but education which by supplying these wants can rescue the human race from sinking as much below the brute creation as they were designed to rise above it so too if the practice of equity virtue and benevolence were not possible for the race its condition would be far more deplorable than that of any horde of wild beasts that ever prowled through a wilderness or hid themselves for ambush in the depths of a jungle even tigers and wolves, with all their ferocity, can inflict but a transitory pain upon each other, or upon the weaker races around them. The most ingenious of all the animals have never invented machines to torture those of their own or of an inferior order. The iron boot, the thumb-screw, the rack, the faggot, are dreadful realities in natural history, but the infamy of their invention and their use belongs not to the brute creation brutes cannot build ships and cross oceans to despoil and enslave a defenceless kindred race in another hemisphere nor can they forge any fetters whether of iron or of the law which shall bind in remorseless bondage not only the victim himself but generations of his descendants brutes cannot bereave each other of their natural instincts cannot make the mother forget her young the mated pair assail each other's lives or the offspring lay patricidal hands upon its parent by transforming the choicest fruits of the earth into poison and selling this poison for ignominious gain the most selfish and ignoble races that ever flew through the air or swam in the sea never availed themselves of the accidental possession of power to establish orders of patrician and plebeian or of lord and commoner and thus to doom one portion of their number to perform all the toil and bear all the burdens of the tribe while they themselves monopolized all its leisure and its luxuries what a spectacle would be presented if a few individuals of some family of insects gathering themselves into conclave upon some spire of grass in the middle of a vast plain or upon some leaf in a boundless forest should there presume not only to adjudicate upon all the purposes of creation and all the mysteries of eternity but should denounce imprisonment and torture the fagot and the scaffold upon all who would not bow to their authority and avow assent to their conclusions there are tribes of the brute creation it is true which prey upon other tribes but it is only for the satisfaction of a physical want and when their hunger is appeased, their fierceness subsides. But not in the north, where their rage is whetted by arctic cold, nor in the south, where their blood is fevered by tropical heat, do they ever inflict upon a victim the lifelong solitude of a dungeon, or gratuitously burn his body and heap contempt upon his ashes, for not believing as they believe, or for not acknowledging as the great spirit of the universe the idol which they may have set up if then i say it had not been a part of the divine determination in the creation of our race that its terrible propensities should be controlled and its higher susceptibilities advanced into supremacy zoology has yet to discover the species of animals so vile so wretched so mutually predacious that mankind has not reason to envy them if posterity is to be what history shows us that nineteen-twentieths of all the preceding world have been what not less than four-fifths of it now are then is man not the noblest but the ignoblest work of creation the accursed and not the favoured of heaven not believing in such a destiny i believe there is a way to avoid it having proved then in former reports by the testimony of wise and skilled men that disease may be supplanted by health bodily pain by enjoyment and premature death by length of life merely by the knowledge and practice of a few great physiological principles such as every person can easily master before the age of sixteen years and having also shown by testimony equally authentic and satisfactory that intelligence cooperating with the bounties of nature is sufficient to secure comfort and competence to all mankind i propose to myself in the residue of this report the still more delightful task of showing by proofs equally unexceptionable and convincing that the great body of vices and crimes which now sadden and torment the community may be dislodged and driven out from amongst us by such improvements in our present common school system as we are abundantly able immediately to make during the last summer in order to make a clear and full presentation of the subject to those persons whose testimony i wished to obtain i prepared a circular setting forth with as much precision and completeness as possible certain specific emendations of our present school system only such emendations however as we can readily make and appealing to the experience and judgment of the persons addressed to know what would be the results were the system to be so amended this circular was sent to teachers highly competent to give evidence on so important a subject competent from their science and from their personal experience from the sobriety of their judgment and from their freedom from any motive to overstate facts or to deduce inferences too broad for the premises on which they were founded in fine the circular was sent to persons whose elevated character and whose extended personal acquaintance with the subject-matter on which they testify place them above denial cavil or suspicion the circular and the answers to it follow circular two blank i desire to obtain the opinion of teachers who are both scientific and practical on a subject of great importance to the cause of popular education your long experience in school keeping the great number of children whom you have had under your care and your well-earned reputation as an instructor and trainer of youth prompt me to apply to you for answers to the subjoined inquiries my general object is to obtain such an opinion as your experience will authorize you to give respecting the efficiency in the formation of social and moral character of a good common school education conducted on the cardinal principles of the new england systems in other words how much of improvement in the upright conduct and good morals of the community we might reasonably hope and expect if all our common schools were what they should be what some of them now are and what all of them by means which the public is perfectly able to command may soon be made to become as we look around us we see that society is infested by vices both small and great the value of life is diminished and even life itself is sometimes made burdensome and odious by the existence amongst us of pests and nuisances in human form whom the law forbids us to destroy and whom with all our efforts we are unable wholly to reform. Were we permitted to hunt out and exterminate from society a wicked or mischievous man, as we would a prowling wolf from the sheepfold, or could we apply the sovereign antidote of extinction to a pestilent brood of children whom profligate parents are about to send forth into the world, we might then secure ourselves in a summary manner from present fears and from future annoyance, so too if we could arrest the momentum of long habit or win back to the paths of virtue those who by their frequent tread have worn the highways of vice both smooth and broad we should then have access to a milder though a more laborious remedy but the common sentiments of mankind would revolt at any proposal to prevent all violations of the moral code by extinguishing the life of the violators and all history and experience afford concurrent proof that the inbred habits of grown men and women their accustomed trains of thought and of action are mainly beyond the control of secondary causes hence it is that a great part of the legislation of every state and nation a vast majority of the decisions of all legal tribunals and a still larger proportion of all the labors and expenditures of philanthropic and christian men have been devoted to the punishment of positive wrong or to the vain attempt to repair its nameless and numberless mischiefs could these wrongs and mischiefs be prevented our descendants would inherit a new earth the classes of common offences by which society is vexed and tormented are numerous but the individual acts of commission under the respective classes are absolutely incomprehensible save by the omniscient there is a detestable practice of profane swearing which is motiveless and gratuitous wickedness this is a vice which neither gives any property to a poor man nor any luxury to a rich one it degrades even the clown to a lower state of vulgarity and it would render the presence even of the most polished gentleman offensive and disgusting if it were ever possible for a gentleman to be guilty of it though greatly restricted at the present day in its destructive agency and gradually withdrawing itself from the more respectable and intelligent classes to the two extremes of society to the luxuriously rich and the self-made poor yet the vice of intemperance still exists amongst us wherever it invades it eats out the substance of families not only consumes the means of educating children but eradicates also the very disposition to educate them it involves the innocent in the sufferings of the guilty even torturing them with superadded pangs of shame which the guilty do not feel and according to the divinely ordained laws of our physical being it visits the iniquities of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation by sowing in their constitution the seeds of inordinate desires Below that degree of slander or defamation which the law denounces as punishable, there exists such an amount of censoriousness and detraction, as often estranges acquaintances, dissolves friendships, introduces discord into neighbourhoods and communities, and sometimes entails hereditary animosities upon families and circles which might otherwise be blessed by harmony and peace nor can the gross and cowardly offence of lying be omitted from this odious catalogue this vice includes in its very nature so much of the assassin and the dastard that it lurks to inflict secret blows or only ventures abroad when large numbers bound together by strong ties of passion or of interest impart mutual confidence and boldness in the prosecution of a common object hence a private individual who is known as a liar is detested scorned and shunned while profligate political defamers and sectarian zealots inspired by a common sentiment of ambition or of intolerance and keeping themselves in countenance by their numbers and their partisanship welcome this vice as an ally and rejoice in the successes obtained by its aid no patriotism is proof against the rancour of party spirit no piety or good works against the rage and blindness of religious bigotry in pecuniary transactions the temptations to overreaching to exorbitance and to actual dishonesty are yielded to with a most lamentable frequency the buyer takes advantage of the necessity of the seller and obtains a transfer of his property for a small part of its value or sometimes by adroit management and preliminary scheming he creates the necessity which places the victim within the jaws of his avarice the seller knowingly overstates the quantity the quality or the value of the commodities he sells and perhaps takes advantage of the ignorance or credulity of the purchaser to obtain a price which he knows to be exorbitant and inequitable the employer often avails himself of the necessity of the employed to obtain his services for less than they are worth he summons in hunger and cold and the sufferings of a dependent family, as advisers in helping to make an unrighteous bargain, and as sureties for its performance. Men without any pecuniary resources which they can call their own, embark in hazardous speculations, where if the rash adventure should chance to prove successful, they will pocket all the gain, but should it turn out to be disastrous, their creditors must suffer all the loss in some of the commercial countries of europe a merchant's insolvency affects his moral character hardly less than his pecuniary credit if a bankrupt cannot show that his deficiency of means was occasioned by some disaster which he could not control or by some loss which he could not reasonably be expected to foresee he forfeits his mercantile standing amongst honourable dealers and can retrieve his character only by actual proof of returning or of newly created honesty a second failure unexplained and unatoned for brands with disgrace and expels not more from the traffic than from the companionship of honourable men the above classes of wrong-doing together with many others of a kindred nature are regarded by the law as minor offences some of them it does not undertake to punish yet from their widespread prevalence and great frequency they perhaps inflict as large an aggregate of evil upon society as those of a more heinous and formidable character but of less frequent occurrence in regard to the offences of a graver nature such as come under the head of crimes or felonies the condition of our country compares favourably with that of any other part of christendom especially will this remark appear true if we consider the slight amount of preventive force made use of in any part of our union to deter from actual transgression and as a general rule the lightness of the penal sanctions held up as a terror to evil-doers yet that there does exist amongst us an appalling amount of criminality of this deeper dye that flagrant offences against the rights of property of person of reputation and of life are perpetrated is proved by the records of our criminal courts and by the mournful procession of convicts and felons whom we see on their way to our penitentiaries and other receptacles prepared for the guilty including all classes of offenders both the less and the more flagitious it is undeniable that there exists amongst us a multitude of men of whom it may be truly said that it would be better for the community had they never been born or had they died in childhood before their propensities for evil had been developed or before they had gone abroad to disturb the peace of society and to destroy that sense of security which every honest man is entitled to feel to thin the ranks of this host of enemies to the welfare of the race or to cripple the evil energies of those who could not be wholly reclaimed, has been the object of philanthropists and sages from the beginning of time. Their efforts, however, have been expended a millionfold more upon the old than upon the young, and a millionfold more also in the way of punishment than of prevention among the republics of ancient times a few wise and sagacious men did clearly perceive the bearing of education upon character and of course upon innocence and guilt both personal and public but among the masses of the people there never existed any settled and operative conviction of this truth and not a single year can be pointed out in all their long annals where a majority of those who held the reins of government and framed the laws of the state rose to any practical or even theoretic conception of the grand idea that the vital intelligence or the stupidity the integrity or the dishonesty of the people at large will be measured and bounded by the kind and degree of the education imparted to its children just as the zones upon the earth's surface are measured and bounded by the amount of sunlight which is shed upon them in modern times this relation of early education to adult character has been more clearly and generally recognized as being what it truly to a very great extent is a relation between cause and effect as one means of establishing this truth, many earnest well-wishers of their race have made extensive collections of what are called the statistics of education and crime. The inmates of large penal establishments have been subjected to a personal examination in order to ascertain whether a greater proportion of them than of the community at large from which they were taken were wholly ignorant of letters, in this investigation the comparison has been made between those who were able both to read and write and those who could perform neither or but one of these operations i will not dwell here upon the amazing absurdity of any definition of the word education whose spirit or whose terms are satisfied by the mere ability to read and write reading and writing may be and among this class of persons they usually are mere mechanical processes and how such attainments should ever have been dignified by the name of education or confounded with that noble culture of the soul which pours the noonday illumination of knowledge upon the midnight darkness of ignorance which seeks to enthrone the moral faculties over all animal desires and propensities and to make the entire course of instruction subservient to the great duties of love to god and love to man how an absurdity so extravagant and now so obvious could ever have been committed can be explained only by reference to the low and unworthy ideas of education which once prevailed the naked capacity to read and write is no more education than a tool is a workman or a telescope is a laplace or a leverrier to possess the means of education is not the same as to possess the lofty powers and immunities of education, any more than to possess the pen of a poet is to possess a poet's skill and faculty divine, or than the possession of the gospel is the possession of that liberty wherewith Christ maketh his disciples free. And that reading and writing are only instruments or means to be used in education, is a truism now so intuitively obvious as to disdain argument and hence it is that of two persons one of whom can barely write his name or spell out a paragraph in a newspaper while to the mind of the other the contents of all manuscripts and all libraries have no more existence than non-entity has to his senses it would be hazardous to affirm that the chances of the former for a virtuous life are much superior to those of the latter nor do the best authorities dispel all the clouds of doubt which hang over this question some writers maintain that crime actually increases in proportion to the diffusion of the rudiments of knowledge provided the knowledge which is diffused stops with the mere rudiments i think however it must be conceded that the preponderance of names and of statistical results does on the whole clearly favour the opinion that crime recedes as knowledge advances and that as the full-risen sun enables a traveller to see his path and to avoid the dangers that beset it so the first and faintest gleaming of the morning light helps him to discover his way and to shun its perils it must also be remembered that when great numbers are taken as the basis of comparison all of whom possess the rudiments of knowledge it will always happen that some of them will possess more than the rudiments hence taking whole communities together i believe the legitimate and inevitable conclusion to be that every advance in knowledge amongst a people is pro tanto an invasion of the dominion of crime for years past however although i have carefully scrutinized these so-called statistics of education and crime and am convinced that they do establish a distinction between the two classes one of which can read and write while the other can do neither of these things or but one of them in regard to their relative exemption from crime or exposure to it yet i have never been able to bring myself to present these schedules to our people as an argument in favour of that elevated and ennobling education to which it is their duty to aspire i have felt that by so doing the argument would be shorn of half its power by the feebleness of the proofs brought to sustain it it would be like exhibiting a taper to prove the existence of light while surrounded by the sun's effulgence our present state of society the form of government under which we live the improvable faculties with which we have been endowed by our maker and the solemn destiny that awaits us all demand vastly more than a knowledge of the nature and power of letters and the just method of spelling words and the mechanical ability to imitate with a pen their written and printed signs yet this degrading idea of education which was first conceived in reference to the ignorant classes of europe has been to some extent adopted and acted upon in our own country the last census of the united states taken by authority of a law of congress and in compliance with a provision of the federal constitution proceeded upon this european fallacy it virtually adopted the old line of distinction between education and ignorance for it required an enumeration of all persons over twenty years of age who were unable to read and write the results have been published and they are now embodied with the permanent statistics of the country towns counties and states are classed their condition is mentioned with honour or with opprobrium according to their relative position above or below this absurd standard of knowledge and culture it is inevitable that this legislative sanction of such a standard this naturalization of it so to speak should have a most baneful effect in debasing public opinion upon the subject facts of an interesting nature are presented it is true but their tendency is to rob education of all its noblest attributes but though the public mind always tends strongly to conform its modes of thinking to legal definitions and to subscribe to opinions sanctioned by high authority yet the common sense of the community especially in the more educated states of the union has outgrown these contracted notions and has claimed for the word education a far ampler and loftier significance all intelligent thinkers upon this subject now utterly discard and repudiate the idea that reading and writing with a knowledge of accounts constitutes education the lowest claim which any intelligent man now prefers in its behalf is that its domain extends over the threefold nature of man: over his body, training it by the systematic and intelligent observance of those benign laws which secure health, impart strength, and prolong life; over his intellect, invigorating the mind, replenishing it with knowledge, and cultivating all those tastes which are allied to virtue; and over his moral and religious susceptibilities also dethroning selfishness enthroning conscience leading the affections outward in good will towards men and upward in gratitude and reverence to god in thousands of reports prepared by school committees in frequent addresses and lectures delivered on public occasions in all educational documents emanating from high official sources and in every work pretending to scientific accuracy or to any comprehensive outline of the subject these sacred and majestic attributes have been set forth and it has been demonstrated hundreds of times over that the effect of a sound education of the people must not accidentally but necessarily not occasionally but always be to repress the commission of crime and to promote the diffusion of human happiness and that to act in conscious defiance or disregard of these truths is treachery to the best interests of our fellow-men and impiety towards the author of the moral universe but notwithstanding all that has been said and so well said as to the moral power of education in reforming the world there have still been a vagueness and an indefiniteness in regard to the extent of that power which have shorn argument and eloquence of much of their strength nowhere have its advocates set forth distinctly and specifically how much they believe can be accomplished by it when an alleged improvement is presented to a judicious man he wishes to know whether and to what extent its benefit will exceed its cost a capitalist will not aid a new enterprise with his money until he is satisfied of the profitableness of the investment nor will a manufacturer purchase new machinery unless he is convinced that it will do better work in the same time or equal work in less it seems to me that the time is now arrived when the friends of this cause should plant themselves on a more conspicuous position when surveying the infinite of wretchedness and crime around them before which the stoutest heart is appalled and humanity stands aghast they should proclaim the power and the prerogatives of education to rescue mankind from their calamities founding themselves upon evidence that cannot be disputed and fortifying their conclusions by the results of personal experience they should proclaim how far the miseries of men can be alleviated and how far the dominion of crime can be overthrown by such a system of education as it is perfectly practicable for every civilized community forthwith to establish and thus they should awaken the conscience of the public to a sense of its responsibility the idea will be more distinctly presented under an inquiry like the following under the soundest and most vigorous system of education which we can now command what proportion or percentage of all the children who are born can be made useful and exemplary men honest dealers conscientious jurors true witnesses incorruptible voters or magistrates good parents good neighbors good members of society in other words with our present knowledge of the art and science of education and with such new fruit of experience as time may be expected to bear what proportion or percentage of all children must be pronounced irreclaimable and irredeemable, notwithstanding the most vigorous educational efforts which in the present state of society can be put forth in their behalf. What proportion or percentage must become drunkards, profane swearers, detractors, vagabonds, rioters, cheats, thieves, aggressors upon the rights of property, of person, of reputation, or of life, or in a single phrase must be guilty of such omissions of right and commissions of wrong that it would have been better for the community had they never been born this is a problem which the course of events has evolved and which society and the government must meet if with such educational means and resources as we can now command eighty ninety ninety five or ninety nine per cent of all children can be made temperate industrious frugal conscientious in all their dealings, prompt to pity and instruct ignorance instead of ridiculing it and taking advantage of it, public-spirited, philanthropic, and observers of all things sacred. If, I say, any given proportion of our children by human efforts and by such a divine blessing as the common course of God's providence authorizes us to expect, can be made to possess these qualities and to act from them, then just so far as our posterity shall fall below this practicable exemption from vices and crimes and just so far as they shall fail to possess these attainable virtues just so far will those who frame and execute our laws shape public opinion and lead public action be criminally responsible for the difference i can conceive of no moral proposition clearer than this society in its collective capacity is the possessor of all the knowledge and the owner of all the property in existence governments have been organized and are invested with power to use any needful amount of this property for purposes of education and by holding out adequate inducements and remuneration they can command the services of the highest talent here then duty and the means to perform it come together the only remaining question is how much can be done for in a cause and for a purpose like this nothing which can actually be done can be guiltlessly omitted if it is proved with a reasonable degree of certainty that ninety nine ninety five ninety eighty or any other given percentage of all children can be rescued from vice and crime and can be so educated and trained as to become valuable citizens but the state refuses or declines to do this work then the state itself becomes a culprit and before the great moral judge who is seated on the throne of the universe it must stand a spectacle of shame and guilt like one of its own inferior culprits before its own judicial tribunals with these preliminary observations which seemed to be necessary in order to a full exposition of the object i have in view I proceed to submit the following specific inquiries and to request your answer to them one how many years have you been engaged in school keeping and whether in the country or in populous towns or cities two about how many children have you had under your care of which sex and between what ages three should all our schools be kept by teachers of high intellectual and moral qualifications and should all the children in the community be brought within these schools for ten months in a year from the age of four to that of sixteen years then what proportion what percentage of such children as you have had under your care could in your opinion be so educated and trained that their existence on going out into the world would be a benefit and not a detriment an honour and not a shame to society or to state the question in a general form if all children were brought within the salutary and auspicious influences i have here supposed what percentage of them should you pronounce to be irreclaimable and hopeless of course i do not speak of imbeciles or idiots but only of rational and accountable beings you will perceive that in certain respects i am supposing no change in the present condition of society i am taking families as they now are and am allowing all of the unfavourable as well as the favourable influences of the old upon the young to continue to operate at least for a time as heretofore nor do i suppose any sudden transforming change in co-operative and auxiliary institutions such as the sabbath school the pulpit and so forth although it is certain that such a state of things as is here outlined would gradually impart new vigour to all that advances the progress of society while it would impair the force of all that retards it on the other hand however i am supposing two great changes i am supposing all our children to be placed under the care of such a class of men and women as we now honour by the appellation of first class or first rate teachers of such teachers as are able in the schoolroom both to teach and to govern and who out of the schoolroom will be animated by a missionary spirit in furthering the objects of their sacred vocation I have also supposed that all the children in the community shall be brought under the forming hands of such teachers from the age of four to that of sixteen for ten months in each year while therefore the above supposition leaves children exposed in many cases to pernicious family and social influences under which they are now suffering it assumes that all the children when out of school shall meet only such children as are enjoying the same high training, the same daily installation of moral principles as themselves. My supposition allows a continuance of the same family adult influences, at least until these shall be supplanted by the better influences of the rising generation, action and reaction hastening results because these influences are facts which no earthly power can cause to be immediately changed. But I have supposed this noble company of teachers, this length of schools, and this universality of attendance, because these are reforms on the present condition of things which can be effected without any great delay, at the farthest of very few years being an ample allowance for the completion of such a change. To reduce my third question, then, within its narrowest limits and to make it as definite and precise as possible suppose yourself to be stationed as a school teacher in a place similar to any of those in which you have before laboured suppose yourself too to be surrounded by teachers fully as capable and zealous in all respects as yourself and suppose further that all the children are brought under your care or theirs as above specified that is for a period of twelve years or from four to sixteen and ten months in each year and will you then please to declare what proportion or percentage of those under your own care you believe could be turned out the blessing and not the bane the honour and not the scandal of society and on what proportion or percentage the complement of the other would your experience compel you to pronounce the doom of hopelessness and irreclaimability? Very truly and sincerely yours, Horace Mann. End of section forty two. Recording by Maria Casper.